creating your own podcast a big waste of time? Oh, boy. <laughs> right, maybe we should stop right here, Tom. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> and NBC Universal cuts primetime ads by 20%. Should you? This is episode 80 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I am Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker, maybe wasting my time. Exactly right. <laughs> Creating your own podcast, a big waste of time. I love this piece. This was, of all the publications this would come from, Tom, the Wall Street Journal, I thought, you know, how low can they go <laughs> to put out a puff piece like this that appears to me quite possibly to be branded content? It could be branded content. I think because there are an be. awful lot of brand names and, you oh, know, yeah. microphones and platforms and other nonsense in here. So anyway... Here's the sub, uh, the subheading. It's never been easier to launch your own show, but it's tough to persist <laughs> when you're speaking to an audience of one. We asked the pros to debate both sides of the question. You know, is creating your own podcast actually worth it? And I thought, before we get into the content of this, I thought just <laughs> the question was so incredibly absurd because... You know, there's this notion now that because the that when things are too hard, the solution is to make them easy. Right. Because democratizing technology, making it easy for more people, not only does it give you a chance to access that technology, but it creates more great stuff. Right, Tom? Well, I don't know, because the catch-22 is then when it gets too easy and the marketplace is flooded with all kinds of products because of it, then people say, I can't get anyone's attention. <laughs> well, I, I would go beyond you and say absolutely not. It absolutely does not create more. I mean, let me give you, for instance, there's a, there's a, a, a platform called Anchor, which just put out their version 3.0 this week, and they've pivoted in a, in a direction. Essentially now they, the, the platform's more about making it easier than ever to create podcasts. <laughs> so they've pivoted to that because, as we all know, the uh, struggle with podcasting for anyone who's ever listened to one has always been, gosh, it's hard to make it. That's, every listener to radio has always thought, gosh, it's hard to be a broadcaster. Right. Um, wow, it's hard to produce quality television. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, making Wonder Woman, that must have taken that was two, three hours. So I thought, you know, is, is, is more content better content? Is the problem really that it's too hard to make it? And I thought the analogy is, look, if you make it easier to make movies, and it's easier to make movies now than ever, do we today have better movies? Did desktop publishing create for us better documents? And by that, I mean better quality documents. It's easier to, be, to create your own book now than ever, Tom. You tell me. <laughs> Are we doing more better books? No. Look, the only thing I think <laughs> that got better are everyone's website looks professional. <laughs> well, I mean, again... You know, when you democratize aesthetics, yes, aesthetics uh, are democratized. You see better aesthetics everywhere. But if aesthetics were the whole game, we would all, all be graphic artists, and that would be the end of the story. But exactly. some of us are writers, some of us are directors, some of us are, you know, musicians, and uh, some of us are podcast makers. So uh, let's talk about some of the funny uh, um, uh, quotations in this piece, and then I want to get to kind of my bottom line on this and hear yours. You're going to be terrible at a lot of things for years until you're successful. <laughs> That's good. 
people probably aren't going to listen to your podcast initially, but if you like it and you keep putting it out, people will find it. Now, okay. there's so much wrong That's a lie. with these two sentences. <laughs> so first of all, you're going to be terrible at a lot of things for years until you're successful. Tom, have you ever said when you watch television, you know, the more TV shows that Ryan Murphy makes, the better he gets. <laughs> Look, I I don't know where any of this is coming from. It, 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 if you listen to it, it's, you're going to be terrible for years. I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> who's got the, Here's the problem. The problem is all of this is written from the perspective of someone who's considering whether they should go to the nominal effort of creating a podcast. None of it's written from the perspective of anyone thinking at all about who might listen, why they would listen, while they're care, why they would care at all. I mean, people probably aren't going to listen to your podcast initially, but if you like it and you keep putting it out, people will find it. No, they will not. <laughs> it has nothing to do with discovery. It has to do with, are you creating something that anyone cares about? Do you want to make something that needs to be heard? Yeah, when you say anyone, let's start with you. Because let's, first of all, you can't waste time. Only thing you can really waste is your own potential. So this notion of mm -hmm. looking at everything through a lens of outcomes, that's what it is, right? Let's look, uh, mm -hmm. what will the outcomes be? Should we do this? That's what prevents people both from succeeding and from enjoying life. So they're, they're not getting either one. They're not succeeding, they're not enjoying life. The one guy mm -hmm. on the pro side of the argument, he says that if you're getting into it for the success or the money, the industry isn't quite there yet. It should be for the love of the game right now. Really? Tell me what industry is there where it's like this easy thing to get into and, <laughs> or, or, or for the love of the game right now. Shouldn't it always be for the love of the game? This is the crazy thing about this whole article. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's this relates to this relates to the conversations we've had before about musicians who gripe about not making enough money from Spotify, and then we say, "Well, wait a minute. Whoever said to you that you were going to make money from Spotify, from having your music appear online, where you're going to make money is from selling merch and from selling tickets. That's where you're going to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. And by the way, if Spotify can help you sell merch and sell tickets, Spotify is a great tool for you in the same way as as we've talked back and forth off the podcast, writing a book right. can be primarily a tool designed to, uh, for you to monetize in other ways, whether it's speaking, or, uh, uh, consulting, uh, creating you know, online courses, whatever, whatever it happens to be. The point is not everything needs to be, should be, or will be monetizable in and of itself. And the idea that, yeah, I'm really interested in Topic X, so I'm going to do a show on Topic X. And you know, if nobody listens to it, that's okay because I'm doing it for me, which is what you should be writing your music that's for, right. what you should be writing your book for, and what you should be writing your screenplay that's for. That's right. Look, have you seen all of these online ads for this thing? Oh, of course you have. We've talked about it. Masterclass. Right, mm -hmm. the masterclass, and they have the experts teach you how to do yes. what they do. Okay, yes. so Wolfgang Puck he teaches you how to cook. Steve Martin teaches comedy. Herbie Hancock teaches jazz. Do you think that these people looked at the marketplace and said, "I wonder if this is the right time to want to cook. I don't know if this is the right time to want to tell jokes or play the piano." We've got this whole notion of success back asswards. If mm -hmm. these guys would be honest with you. 
they would tell you, I loved to play the piano and I worked my ass off. And by the way, I got some lucky breaks and I'm doing a master class. But that's not what people think. They say, I'll sit down and watch this master class and, and then I'll be a success. No, if you don't yep. like doing what you're doing, you are not going to be a success. That's right. And the idea that um, if you keep doing it long enough, I mean, there's another quote in this piece. A lot of life is persistence and the determination and determination in the face of futility. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, in the face of futility, I don't think futility is the word I would use. If it's truly futile, as in, <laughs> why am I bothering with this? Well, then don't bother with it. Isn't that All you point? have is your time, Tom. <laughs> Isn't that... Isn't that the whole point? I mean, there were some puzzling things in here. I mean, like you said, that one guy saying, if you keep putting it out, people will find it. Ah, no, not really. And no, I like, they won't. I like the closing part from Adam Carolla, who, by the way, I'm going to make a prediction right now. He will be doing mm -hmm. a master class on podcasting. It's coming. Ooh, that's a great idea. Why didn't they think of that already? Oh, it's coming. I'm, I guarantee I'm going to make this prediction. That is an... <laughs> That is an excellent idea, and I hope they're uh, listening, and I hope it pops up on the platform because then you and I can We can say we predicted that one too. But I like what he says. He yeah. says about podcasting, it kind of depends on what the phrase worth it means to you, financially, spiritually, or creatively. If you enjoy podcasts, mm -hmm. this is the funny thing that he says, though. If you enjoy podcasting like you enjoy pickup basketball games on Saturday, then it's always worth it. If you set the bar at, quote, I'm quitting my day job and I'm divorcing my wife and I'm living on a boat doing podcasting, <laughs> unquote, then it's not worth it. See, in my mind, quitting your day job and divorcing your husband or wife and living on a boat doing podcasting, that seems like a dream come true to me. <laughs> For the podcaster, yes. For the podcaster. <laughs> It's always really interesting. I know at Podcast Movement, for example, they had some statistics uh, out that said something like 20% of the people attending the event weren't podcasting yet, but were thinking about it. They were kind of investigating <laughs> it. And I thought, oh, oh, this, is, this is not Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? You don't have to look that hard to figure out what to do. Either do or do not do, but people do not think ponder indefinitely. They think there's a secret to this. There's no secret to anything, especially today with the Internet, right? The information That's is right. everywhere. So they're not coming for information. I guarantee you they're not coming for information. They're coming for some kind of inspiration, for somebody to say, I, you know, I had this job I hated, and then I did this crazy podcast, and now I'm a millionaire. And then they go, I'm mm -hmm. going to do it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. That's it. And I think, too, again, just to close this out, um, not enough attention for anybody, either in or potentially in the podcasting, is being paid to the idea of not of, do I want to do this? Do I want to put in the effort? What if I have trouble getting listeners? How hard do I have to work getting listeners? Is it even possible? But rather, do I want to make something right. that needs to be heard? That's it. Do I want to share something with the world? That's it. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Media Unplugged to Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, just this week, NBC Universal announces it's cutting primetime ads by 20%. Should you 
This was a really interesting, uh, a really interesting announcement. Now it's not new, right? Because over time, various networks have 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 cut inventory here and there, but yet it continues to creep in an upward direction. Do you notice that the the headlines always cutting ads, never adding inventory. Right. So this is from uh, Variety. Um, the, uh, by the way, NBC Universal across all their TV networks, not just the uh, NBC network. So um, they're intending to cut the number of advertisements in its commercial pods during original primetime programming by 20% starting in the fourth quarter and the amount of ad time during those primetime shows by 10%. Now, I had to stop there for a moment because right. I thought, wait a minute, these are two different numbers. So they're cutting the number of spots by 20%, but the amount of time by 10%, which tells me either that the spots are getting longer, longer. right? Mm -hmm. um, and or different. So uh, then they go on to describe what that means. There are more and more consumers, whether it's from Hulu or the Netflixes or Amazons of the world, uh, who are liberated via technology from having to watch the sheer number of advertisements shown on traditional TV. TV networks would be crazy to believe that anything other than commercial overhaul was anything other than inevitable. Very awkward, by the way, having anything other than twice in the same <laughs> sentence. So their commercial cutback shows the far-reaching effects of the viewing habits of a rising generation of uh, new tech couch potatoes are having on the business of television. Um, I don't, I, I mean, you know where this paragraph is going, so I'll just skip to the end. NBCU said more than 400,000 advertisements have been added to TV networks over the past five years. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Ad loads have recently increased. An analyst for Pivotal Research who tracks advertising minutes on TV found national commercial loads across the industry rose about 4% on average in January to 11 minutes per hour, a sign that TV networks need to run ads more often to generate the impressions they've guaranteed advertisers while audiences erode. Mm -hmm. I, I've got more I want to read from this, but I want to stop there for a moment to let you jump in. Well, you see what's going on? It's really interesting. It's Look, it's, hey, you, ad, you know, head of advertising for our media properties, you're in charge of revenues. Now, what do you think is the best way to go about getting these revenues? Do you think it's sell more ads? Do you mm -hmm. think if we improve the content and the creativity of what we're producing that will attract more people, that we can show the advertisers that these ads are more valuable? Than running these ads somewhere else, so this is okay. You've just you, well, you've just outlined two things. The first of which is extraordinarily easy, and the second of which is extraordinarily difficult. Right, but they do. You have to admit, NBC Universal does have some pretty damn good content recently, and they've got some shows that yeah. keep people coming back. Right, this is yes. Us. I'm, I'm I'm talking about the ad. Are you talking about the ads or the content? Wow, you need both. So the first thing you need is you need the content that attracts the people most likely to be interested in whatever the product is, right? right? So, so the, more, um, the more you can target content to particular identities and you can sell that, and you can go to advertisers and say, look, we have this audience for this show. We know what this audience is into and it's your types of products. That becomes mm -hmm. valuable. So you can get more money for those ads. But they also want people to keep coming back to these shows, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm going to run some ads on This Is Us. No, no. I want to continue to run these ads. Are people coming back to these shows? Yeah. Okay. 
So that's value that advertisers are buying, which gives you a price premium on the ads. Because otherwise, what are they going to do? They're going to do, do some kind of media buy and spread these ads all over the place, not knowing who's it, seeing them, right? It feels to me like this has very little to do with targeting unique audiences and much more to do with kind of minimizing speed bumps to erosion, or in your language, allowing people to come back to the shows that they care about, number one. And number two, and this is the part I haven't read yet, creating new kinds of advertising, which are really not spots. So it's kind of the post-spot advertising world, which I think is really, to me, the most interesting part of this. You know, cutting spots is one thing, but what they're replacing it with is another. They're not cutting the spots so as to invoke economics, right? Scarcity. They're not doing. They're not saying we have fewer spots, thus they're all worth more, because the advertiser no. says, eh, you know, says you. No. Uh, instead, here, let me read these, these two paragraphs. They'll lay it out. The show's recent direction may serve to answer the question of how NBCU expects to generate the same or even more ad revenue as it cuts back on individual ads. NBCU intends to introduce a series of new ad formats that uh, this, this executive said would be of more value to advertisers than traditional 30-second commercials. Very interesting. One of these is called a, quote, prime pod, a 60-second piece of national ad time that will appear in the first or last break of a show that will feature just two sponsors who can run commercials that, and this is the key part, that play off the programming they support, That's as it. well as other elements. NBCU has developed technology that can identify themes and segments with which marketers can align. Very interesting. The company has also developed commercials that allow advertisers to provide real-time commentary in ad breaks, just as they might on Twitter. Hmm. Or to embed pieces of content developed by digital partners such as Vox Media, etc. Um, another one will allow the TV broadcast to stay on the air in some fashion while commercials or ad messages play in other parts of the screen. So it's not ad time, it's ad real estate, right? Right. NBC's used version would have the ad messages play off the content next to which it appears. So in other words, what they're trying to do from what I can tell, and I think this is awesome, is experiment with the form rather than the time. They're basically saying, look, every time we break out of content and go to something that is a tangent, the audience uses that as an excuse to abandon ship. What if we could make those tangents less tangential, number one, and integrate them into the content, number two? Then we've achieved both good goals. We've made, quote-unquote, better messages. I don't even know if I can call them ads at that point. They're sponsored messages. Right. But they're better sponsored messages, and they're also more relevant to the programming that brings you there in the first place. I, th I think it's amazing. Yeah, look, you have to satisfy the value equation on both ends somehow. Right, You have to mm -hmm. keep right. attracting the viewers. So you have to look at what works and what doesn't work from the viewer's standpoint. Now, if you're doing that, what does that give you relative to the value that the advertisers are looking for? It gives you right. more value if you can somehow better, again, keep the, keep the viewers there, target them based on their viewing behavior, their affinity, right, their psychographics, that's mm -hmm. when it'll command premium prices. And I think that that's, I, even though they don't talk about the pricing, I can guarantee you that that's what's going on. I mean, the article pointed well, out clearly. that the ad prices for Saturday Night Live has soared, right? right. And they cut 30% right. of the show's commercial load. Mm -hmm. 
So, so mm-hmm. that's what's going on. It's how do we make this show more attractive to viewers? And now how do we get creative on the other end with advertisers and show them that they're getting more value from us with the fewer ads than they are spreading their ads all over the place? And SNL is a good example, by the way, because I don't know about you, but every time I see any brand name in SNL, I assume that's branded content. I assume that someone on the ad team went to the writers in SNL and said, hey, build a segment around blank. And they do. If you see a logo, I mean, you know, you watch the judge shows and if somebody's got a logo on a shirt, it's taped over. I know. So, you know, full well that when you see when you when you know, when there's a whole segment in a a Hertz dealership, (laughs) that that is branded content. Someone's paying for that as long as they can try and make it funny. Um, there's also a, a, another uh, piece that uh, I shared with you just a little while ago that I think kind of goes with this, that, that is kind of the yin to that yang. And the title of it, it's from um, uh, Media Post. The title of it is, Advertising Falls to Lowest Share of Time Spent with Media Ever. It's a study from Research Intelligencer. It predicts that ad-supported media exposure is about to experience a cliff effect declining as much as 30% over the next five years as consumers shift their attention to non-ad-supported media. It goes on to say, the good news is that the total amount of time Americans spent consuming media rose. The bad news is that the share of time spent with ad-supported media fell to 44.4%, its lowest point ever. Uh, And then it goes on to uh, predict it's only going to get worse. Uh, analysts believe it's not a wholesale abandonment of advertising, but more of a shift, and this is what relates to the previous piece, more of a shift to new forms, such as brand integrations and content marketing that may not fit classic categorization. And the reason why this sticks out to me so much is because, as you know, I work in the audio space. Right. And the audio space is still overwhelmingly driven by spots, either direct business or agency business, one or the other. But if you, if you think about how do, how do people in the audio space um, uh, navigate a world where television is setting the tone this way, I think it introduces a whole lot of questions on, you know, what are the um, new forms of audio advertising or content or messaging that are analogous to what's happening in television? It's an interesting question. It's the question because everyone knew this was coming. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, when you see, you know, if you look at the ratings, the Nielsen ratings in a lot of markets right now, the stations which are, um, have most uh, grown are very often the public radio stations, right. the news stations. Mm-hmm. And you see that and you say, very interesting. Here's a station which is supported by its listeners. There's no commercial, I mean, there's underwriting, but there's no significant commercial element at all. And it's a very, very interesting uh, contrast. And I think ultimately, and this also, I think, relates to podcasting in some sense. Because what's the model for podcasting? Is it really uh, always going to be, you know, the, kind of the same kind of spots that you hear on commercial radio? Is it going to be talent endorsements, which is kind of the, 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 the main uh, uh, coin of the realm right now in this space? Um, what do you think? In podcasting, sure. I've seen it all over the place. I don't. I I was listening to one the other day. I think the guy has upwards of a million uh, downloads per episode, and he has absolutely no advertising. He won't do it. It's just against his principles um, for these particular reasons. I won't go into. But instead, he uses donations 
But see, what he says mm-hmm. is the people who make the donations, the percentage of listeners is really small. He keeps saying mm-hmm. that. You know, that's only like two, three percent of you people. You know, please donate anything. What he needs to do is just basically say, look, I'm going to do a live podcast in these 30 cities over the next 12 months. Get your ticket at my website today. And that's it. Well, because people love to go to these live events and he could do them all over the country and sell tickets to him and fund his entire podcasting, you know. And that that's a common theme, right? I mean, the live events is a is an established thing for the more popular podcast to do. Um, I think getting to your point, uh, but those metrics, by the way, aren't that much different from what a lot of uh, you know, Christian non-commercial stations do. Right. You know, three, four, five percent is a great percentage of listeners who donate. And the question ultimately becomes, I think, um, what's the difference between someone who donates and so, what in what's what what am i getting if i donate that i don't get if i don't donate right i had a situation let me just take one tangent and tell you that i i don't think i've told this on the podcast before but i was at a uh, growth hacker conference uh, some time ago talking to a guy who was really big into lead magnets and you know consulting Funnels. startups and uh, sales funnels all that stuff and uh, nothing to do with audio, nothing to do with radio, nothing to do with podcasting. So I said, hey, I've got uh, a lot of my clients are uh, Christian non-coms. And uh, they're trying to figure out how to get more uh, giving, more donations. They've got maybe 3 4 5% of their audience giving now. And he said to me, he said, wait, I, I don't understand. It's radio, right? Hmm. I said, yeah. He said, so I can get it for free, right? I said, yeah. He said, "So why am I donating? Why would why would I donate?" <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the that's what people think. No. Well, that is what people think, and the answer to the question is well, and the, and this is something that I think a lot of these stations have have yet to really fully understand and put into action. Content behind that is content the, for specifically for the people who donate. Exclusive content. Well, let's say value. Value. Okay? Exclusive value. Let's say right. what is, yes, what is the experience that's exclusive to those who are part of the club, who right. are members? I like to put it in terms of membership, not giving or donation. Right. A donation is a one-way uh, gift, right? Yep. Um, but to be a member of something is a more meaningful relationship. And in fact, it's a two-way street. So what do I get as a member that I don't get as a listener? What is the, what is the opportunity cost of not uh, supporting you? And right now the opportunity cost is zero. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You're not losing anything. <laughs> not a thing. All right, it's time for rants and raves. Tom, what do you have this week? I think this is a rave. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's a rave. Have you heard about Amazon's most recent acquisition? Uh, Ring? On, yeah. So Tuesday, Amazon agreed to acquire Ring. So this is that company that makes the video doorbells and the home security cameras mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for a cool $1 billion. Now, here's the interesting part of that story. The company inventor, the CEO of Ring, he was rejected by the Shark Tank judges back in 2013. (laughs) Okay? So it's 2013. He's got a company called DoorBot that nearly went bankrupt. Mm. The Mm. expert entrepreneurs, right, on Shark Tank, they didn't think the idea of a smart doorbell made enough sense, at least not to invest. What he was looking for was $700,000, which was a 10% stake 
in a company he valued at seven million, which he just sold for a billion, but seven million. Hmm. Now, there's a few lessons in here that I just want to point out to people that may be hidden. First, make sure you pick a good name like Ring instead of Doorbot, because that's the key to your ultimate success. Okay, that's mm. a joke. Yeah. That's a joke. It didn't matter what he called it. Well, that's this. one key. <laughs> it didn't matter. It doesn't hurt. It didn't matter what he called this thing. There are three big lessons in this particular story. First, you have to have unwavering passion for your idea. Never mm -hmm. expect people to see the marketplace the way you see it, especially the experts, right? Because who are mm -hmm. the experts? They're not a bunch of bankers or billionaires who bumped into their own success. They're the people closest to the problem. They're the people in the trenches, the ones trying to solve problems with their customers each and every day, right? Is Mark Cuban, is he an expert? I don't know. He passed on the ring investment because, and I quote, he said, I just don't see the progression. And for that reason, I'm out. He's no expert. Mm -hmm. So you're the mm -hmm. expert, the pre people closest to the customer, working problems day to day, those are the experts. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, you have to make yourself strategically attractive to everyone and anyone who may find synergy in a relationship with you. You have to do that. You just can't just wing it. You have to be attractive. Then you can throw yourself out into the world and see what happens. For example, mm -hmm. Ring fits perfectly with Amazon's planned key service where their delivery men are going to leave the package in the consumer's home. But the founder could never have predicted that back in 2013. Right. Pure serendipity. But Ring was ready for that encounter because guess what? Their product is compatible with Alexa, Amazon's Alexa. So it mm -hmm. allows users mm -hmm. to ask Alexa to show them a live feed of the exterior of their house via their yeah. ring cameras. So they were ready, is what I'm saying. Be mm -hmm. ready, spread yourself around. And finally, and this is, a, this is kind of the irony of this whole thing, you've got to remember that attention is criti critical for success today in this super saturated marketplace. Because you see, none of this would have happened for ring had the founder not appeared on Shark Tank. Because the Shark Tank hmm. appearance caused these door bots to sell like crazy. In fact, this guy was, <laughs> this guy was like on close to bankruptcy. And just because of his appearance, he sold $3 million worth of these things in 2013 wow. alone. So How that's about that? You know what I mean? So that saved his business and put him on the map. So passion for your idea, for helping improve people's lives, a combination of strategic, call it preparedness, and serendipitous encounters, continuously mm -hmm. refining your offering and planting seeds in as many places as possible, and exposure. Because I'm going to tell you, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, I don't care how big and impressive the tree is, it will not make a sound. A sound needs an ear. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's just a vibration of air. In terms of being ready, that also kind of, I mean, one aspect of being ready is, is, is being in the right place at the right time and catching the wave that no one could see before it came upon you, right? right. This is why trying to, trying to kind of hack trends is perceived as so valuable, even though so much of trend hacking is, you know, f farther off in the future beyond the scope of my, you know, immediate business plan. 
Um, and sometimes they're hard to relate to specific business objectives. But clearly, I think as you, as you started to see Alexa become what Alexa's becoming, the idea that this was a natural fit became more and more obvious, right? I mean, if he were on Shark Tank in 2018, I'm sure they'd have a different conversation. Oh, exactly. exactly. That's, my, that's my point. Everything is yeah. timing, yeah. right? So you can't go into Very the marketplace, point. create some type of projection and plan and say, yep, that's the way things are going to work out. You can't do that. You have to have whatever idea you have based on what you're doing in the marketplace. You've got to be in the marketplace in order to feel the movement of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, oh my goodness, this is where things are going to go. Now, other people may not, not see that because they're not in it. Right. Right? And I don't care how many charts and graphs you put up on a, on a wall. They're not going to see it and feel it. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. a thing. You keep going and see what happens. Sometimes even the experts aren't in it. <laughs> uh, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. So I had a couple. Um, but uh, we're running a little late, so I think I'm going to trim one out. So I'm going to focus on the one that's the rave because I think, I, first of all, I so rarely get to rave. And this one is just so cool that I, I, I just had to talk about it. So <laughs> this is from a, um, a company called Trendwatching. Uh, and I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, this month, U.S.-based women's bodysuit company Tux began offering cus customers free coaching sessions after they purchased an item. Women can gain access to online sessions. There are 10 so far from business and life coach Iana Rame that focus on career issues. The initiative came after the company learned that many customers were wearing tux bodysuits during key moments in their professional lives. Transactions are no longer one, maybe two, and done. Tux's move is part of a wider trend towards turning products into services, keeping consumers engaged long after they make a purchase. I just love this. Mm -hmm. Just in the fashion industry, we recently featured the Adidas uh, XBVG partnership, with, which turned a pair of sneakers into passes for the Berlin Metro, while Nike's NBA Connected jersey delivers exclusive digital content on the wearer's favorite teams and players. But let's go a bit deeper, and this is the part in bold. This initiative brilliantly gets to the heart of what it means to be a modern lifestyle brand, where success is less about the superficial quality of your product, but about what that product does for your customers' higher order needs. Provi by, providing Tux, uh, by providing coaching, Tux moves up Maslow's hierarchy, satisfying his customers' needs for self-esteem, etc. So if you're in the business of selling products, take this innovation to your team and discuss. Which bundled services could you offer that would demonstrate genuine empathy for your customers' higher order needs? In other words, how can your product be more than a product? How can it be more of a service? How can it be more deeply embedded into the lives of your consumers. And I thought this was right on. What Look, do you think? You're, listen, how, how many times have we talked about the fact that typical organizations that, that have been trained in, in sales and marketing and business from the 60s till the 2000 have this very limited idea of what value is. Mm -hmm. They think it's features and benefits. They don't understand that value is all over the place, all kinds of identity plays, all kinds of aesthetic plays. There's so much going on, more than just saving people time and money. And if you can realize that, then you realize how to create a following and how to keep the relationship. Listen, keeping the relationship going 
That's the key. Because you keep the relationship going, you have attention. Once the relationship pauses, like you said with these TV commercials, mm -hmm. the same thing happens to attention. It goes away. And to try to get it back today is really difficult. I think and you nailed the, the, the hard part, which is you're, you're in a business that got famous for doing something a certain way and for monetizing its success a certain way. And now the, the, the field is changing. The field is shifting. So now what do they do? And I look at, again, in the audio space, uh, uh, broadcasters in particular, who have the benefit of all this attention and get stuck in the problem of, well, you know, my spot business is down. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> yep. You have all this attention. How can you leverage what you do across other platforms and in other venues and in other ways? How can you create more value for the people who come to your you know, virtual store, your audio store, every day of the week, let's say, um, such that you can monetize? And those kinds of questions mean you're less radio and more things you can do because you're radio, things you can do because you have attention. And those are the kinds of questions which I think people are only now beginning to ask. Yeah. Listen, you nailed it. I, and I think it's important. The last thing you said was you said two things. You said things we can do because we're radio and things we can do because we have attention. I think mm -hmm. you've got to drop the first one. It's people's stories of who they think they are that's preventing them from thinking about value in a much broader context. Right. Kill this, I understand. Kill this story, we're radio, and say to yourself, we have people who like to listen to us. We have people's attention. What can we do with that to bring value to people? That's the key, because if you're an advertiser in a local market, if you're, if you're a business in a local market needing, you know, the cash register to ring, and you've got uh, businesses in your market who have massive attention, then presumably there's a way to meet in the middle. But that way may, need, may not be traditional, uh, uh, traditional flight of radio spots on the air, right? Right, exactly. So get, the only way to get creative is to look at yourself as pure potential and then look at your mm -hmm. assets and say, now what? Right. Start, and, and by the way, those assets aren't, you know, the installed base of, you know, computers and microphones. The assets no. are the attention of the consumers you have at your disposal and how you can leverage that. Right. And the relationships and creativity of the people that work with you. Very true. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at Art19, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. Uh, send your complaints my way. There's always <laughs> one or two. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, please keep it to yourself. Catch up on older episodes at our website, mediaunplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing, legendary producer of Media Unplugged. You know this guy, Jeff Schmidt? Have He's you met him? He's very good. He's the best. He's unbelievable. Ex Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Maysecker, I'm Mark Ramsey, and thank you for listening.